This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 10th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. A case now coming before the U.S. Supreme Court challenges some states' practice of stealing wholesale homes from residents and all equity therein for often substantially smaller tax underpayments. Cato's Tommy Berry details the arguments in the case of Tyler v. Hennepin County. We spoke this week. This case is about local governments that have been empowered to seize home equity from Americans with what appears to be very little due process whatsoever. Uh, in many cases, the, the the town gets this massive windfall of cash, uh, and it's very much out of step with uh, what we understand to be paying taxes. Like you don't get an extra or governments shouldn't get an extra $20,000 just by virtue of the fact that uh, uh, somebody has underpaid their taxes by some, you know, small or trivial amount. You tell me about this case. So this case is about a woman named Geraldine Tyler. Uh, She had purchased a home in uh, the northern Minneapolis area a few decades ago. Uh, She gradually decided she wasn't feeling very safe in that home, uh, decided to move away. Uh, For reasons that aren't entirely clear, she stopped paying her uh, property taxes on that home. And uh, after a little while, the county simply seized it uh, to essentially pay off the the taxes she had not paid. So by the time they seized it, her unpaid taxes were about $2,000 or so. Uh, Fines and interest had racked it up to about 15,000 bill total. But when they sold off uh, this condo, uh, the county got $40,000 for it. Uh, So 25,000 more than was needed to cover her bill. But they did not return that $25,000 to her. They pocketed for county expenses, just as if they'd taken it in uh, to its uh, tax coffers. And this case is fundamentally about who had the right to that property, uh, Geraldine Tyler or the county. All right. So uh, it seems that there are several parts of the Constitution that could be implicated here. Uh, It is uh, a seizure. It is uh, a fine or fee that seems grossly excessive. What did you uh, put in Cato's brief uh, making the argument that the government is over overstepping here? That's right. Tyler is bringing two claims, both that this is an uncompensated taking, violating the Fifth Amendment's uh, guarantee that property not be taken without just compensation. She also brought an unconstitutional excessive fines claim on the eight, under the Eighth Amendment. Cato's brief focused just on the takings clause, and specifically, we rebutted uh, this, the county's argument. The county's key argument is that a state can essentially define property to be whatever it wants. And so if a state statute says, oh, once we've seized your home, your equity is not your property anymore, the state is arguing, the county is arguing, therefore, it's not a taking of property because it wasn't ever, it wasn't your property. And our brief essentially says, no, a state can't simply redefine property however it likes. There are some core fundamental attributes of property under the common law that have to be respected by a state. Otherwise, the takings uh, the takings clause simply has no, no fundamental um, power because a state can simply evade it by redefining property. So what, 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 walk me through what the state is arguing here. 
uh, with respect to property. They say it, it wasn't yours. They say once it was seized, essentially the state created this process where if you don't pay your taxes for a set period of time, you don't respond in time to some letters warning you. Essentially, as long as they give her a couple warnings and then seize it, then at that point under state law that the legislature of Minnesota had enacted, it no longer is treated as her property. It's treated as forfeited to the county. And the argument the state made, which was accepted by both a federal district and appellate court, was that it's not a taking of her property because under state law, the definition changed. It essentially switched as soon as that forfeiture happened. Isn't the definition of a taking the transfer of the use or the value or the property from you to the state? One would think, and our brief focused on the analogy to what are known as legislative takings. Now, this isn't exactly what we typically think of as a legislative taking. The classic legislative taking is a state legislature passes a law and that immediately causes you to lose value in something. You, you bought land on the beach and now suddenly you can't build the house you thought you could build. This is a little different because the legislature passed this law about 100 years ago before this condo was born. But our brief essentially argues it should be thought of as akin to a legislative taking because they created this new rule that now operates to suddenly transfer property or suddenly redefine property as no longer yours, as no longer something that you're allowed to control and, and make use of. So effectively, in some ways, we have a county and a legislature that are both sort of blaming the other. The county is saying, oh, we didn't take property, a legislative statute that the state passed redefines it, whereas the state is saying, oh, we didn't take the property, the county did. So common sense says there has to be someone that you can make your takings claim against. And the bottom line here, where, where we should start with any analysis is this woman had her property taken, uh, and the claim that both groups are making is that someone else took it, and yet somehow this woman doesn't have her property anymore. Exactly. And as we point out in our brief, this wouldn't make sense in any other context where it would be clear that this was indeed her property. So if this were a private debtor, a mortgage situation, Minnesota state law is very clear that she retains a property interest in excess equity. In any other kind of proceeding, bankruptcy, paying off a private debt, you have it. It's treated as private property. So the state really has made a very narrow exception just for its own benefit, just for the benefit of counties within the state of Minnesota, that when they are essentially uh, the debt, when they can get a debt repaid or a tax repaid, they don't have to treat the excess equity as property. All right. What else did the Cato brief argue? We mainly focused on the history of the common law definitions. So we went through all the classics such as Blackstone and then early American uh, Supreme Court decisions, uh, focusing on the common thread throughout all of those and the assumption that home equity uh, is indeed property. There used to be, uh, the, the government used to claim uh, that private property under the takings clause only essentially involved real estate, physical things, uh, large physical things. That argument really isn't tenable anymore, especially after a case about raisins a couple years ago, where the Supreme Court affirmed that, yes, raisins, private property besides just physical homes, uh, is subject to the takings clause. So home equity, even though it might seem sort of incorporeal, it's clearly private property under this. So we focused on three definitions that really run through every common law 
definition of property, uh, the right to exclude, so the right to say this is mine, not yours, you can't do anything with it, uh, something being discrete, uh, and something being usable uh, by, by the property owner. And under all of those, uh, home equity qualifies. And so we said, perhaps at the margins, states can uh, have some leeway to define property if something doesn't fit all of those. But when it fits all of those, it's within that solid core of the definition of property that a state just isn't free to redefine. In studying this case, of course, uh, I have to make a full disclosure. My wife is intimately familiar with uh, the details of this case, having conducted a great deal of research that uh, helped identify cases where homes have been taken by governments or their designees um, in this manner. Um, and home equity theft, as it has come to be known, is a scourge, but it's not universal. It's a, a dozen plus states that engage in it. Um, based on what you know, based on the other briefs that seem to have lined up against the county, uh, what you know? What's what's notable about this? What do you expect? It really is striking just how many have come out uh, in favor of, of Ms. Tyler and in favor of this claim that this was indeed a taking. So Cato's brief was joined by the ACLU, ACLU of Minnesota, National Association of Home Builders, and Owners Council of America. So really across uh, ideological coalition, all agreeing on the core of, of the takings claim, because it really isn't a left-right issue when you have sort of private property being taken. A lot of the briefs focused on the fact that this most often harms uh, more elderly and low-income people, especially people who, for example, have held property for a long time but no longer have a source of income with which to pay their property taxes, uh, so that this uh, type of policy really does often prey on on the vulnerable. Uh, the United States even filed a brief, although they didn't go full-throated in defense of Tyler and say that she definitely should win. The bulk of the argument in the United States brief was on her side and saying that this most likely was a taking. Uh, so you can never uh, predict for sure, but the Supreme Court has had a good track record recently of properly defending uh, property rights at the Supreme Court, including several other cases brought by Pacific Legal Foundation, such as the Cedar Point case recently. So if I had to bet, I would, I would guess that this is going to be another case in that line where the Supreme Court sets a clear boundary uh, and says that states have just crossed it. Tommy Berry is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.